Brazil, Reimagined? A Euradio podcast about Brazil's changing territorial, environmental, and agricultural policies. With the voice of those who are working to reconstruct, reimagine, and redivide. From urban to rural, in the Amazon and beyond. Brazil's Wild West. The new settlers have fought over lands and invaded some Indian reserves. The miners have polluted the rivers. Forests are burned to the ground each dry season. But western Mato Grosso and Rondonia today are the home of three million people who went there seeking land and resources and are permanent producers of coffee, cattle, cocoa, and grains. In Brazil, agribusiness has become an environmental nightmare. In the eastern state of Rondonia, organized groups fight for farmland attribution. Jair Bolsonaro's government claims they are protecting the Amazon. But with behind-the-official propaganda, illegal occupations, and deforestation abound. Both of the news items you just heard talk about Rondonia, a region in the northwest of Brazil, next to the Bolivian border. The place where I ended up staying and interviewing much longer than I initially expected. The first text you heard was an extract of an article published in the New York Times in March 1990. The second, entitled The Promised Land, was published by Frans van Quatre in 2021. Even though there is about 30 years difference between the two items, they talk about pretty much the same. Agricultural expansion deforestation, farmers or settlers moving to the promised land. These issues were also what made me decide to go to the region in the first place, because Rondonia, situated in a so-called arc of deforestation, is known as the region where the agricultural border still advances, causing conflicts over protected areas. I wondered whether here, the political transition also gave reason to hope for change. Or the contrary, given the fact that it was also one of the regions with the highest percentage of Bolsonaro voters. What made me decide to stay, however, were the inspiring people, initiatives and projects I found to resist, to reforest, to change production modes, to reconstruct and reimagine the region, despite the difficulties, beyond the political reality. This first episode about Rondonia takes you exactly on this journey. From what I learned about current environmental and territorial issues to how the region is reimagined nowadays. One of the first interviews I did in Rondonia was online, with Ricardo Gilson da Costa Silva, geographer professor at the Federal University of Rondonia, specialized in agrarian and regional geography. I was born in the Amazon, in Belém the capital of Pará. When I was 10 years old, my parents migrated to Porto Velho. That was in 84. I was 10 when we arrived in Porto Velho, the capital of the recently created state of Rondonia. He told me more about the history of the region, about exploration, exploitation, colonization and agricultural expansion. Since the colonization by the Portuguese, 
The Amazon region has always been a great area to be known and dominated in the eyes of the state, but always has been exploited for some natural resource. That has been the role of the Amazon forest, always providing a natural product that is exploited. From 1950, and especially in 1960, the state made itself more present in the Amazon, with public structures, public agencies and public institutions that, in general, coordinate what is called the modernization of the Amazon in the books. So, what was it? It meant encouraging a timber, mineral and agricultural exploitation economy in the Amazon. From the state's point of view, it was labeled as modernization. In addition to those extractive economies, the expansion also included the growth of cities. And urban development itself is another critical element. Since the 1960s, it has modified the geography of the Amazon. That process of modernization has meant for the indigenous peoples in particular a process of invasion. Modernization in the Amazon meant the invasion of areas where not only the indigenous peoples lived, but also the caboclo population that lived on the riverbanks. Why? Because, from the 1970s onwards, the idea of commodification of land appeared in the social plan. So, we see a transformation of the land, nature, and land into merchandise. This sociality of the metamorphosis of nature into merchandise ends up causing much conflict and a process of invasions and deforestation in general. Rondonia was one of the states most impacted by the modernization process in the Amazon when analyzing the 1970s and 1980s environmental impacts. The most transformative policies of the region were two poles, agribusiness and the mining. Centenas de lavradores pobres do resto do Brasil estavam chegando todos os dias a pequenas cidades como Ariquemes. No final dos 90. In the late 90s and onwards, another element would strengthen in the Amazon, which is agriculture, with the idea of soy creating the concept of agribusinesses and now a concept of agriculture as a sign of modernity, positivity and the path of destiny for the Amazon. So when you hang around, for example, Rondonia, you have a systematic propaganda of agriculture as something very positive from an economic and modernization perspective. It is something that I would say is almost messianic, almost religious. Agribusiness has difficulty defending diversity and biodiversity in the Amazon. They have a mononature view. And in the case of the Amazon, the territorial political logic is to transform the biodiversity into a monoculture. To increase deforestation for pasture or grains, so that logic has no biodiversity, 
there is a perspective of mononature, this is also an important issue because it affects protected territories. And then, in my view, agribusiness develops environmental racism in the Amazon against indigenous peoples and traditional communities, because from that perspective, there is only economic, political and aesthetic value from the agro point of view, if it is used in an agricultural economy. As Professor Da Costa Silva underlined when talking about the present-day agriculture in Rondonia, it is important to underline the coexistence of different types of farmers. Besides the rights of the large-scale monoculture farming, including the production of soy and corn mainly exported abroad, there is still a large number of peasant farmers. For comparison, there are about 1,500 producers of soy compared to 80,000 peasant farmers and small landowners including the former immigrants who arrived in the region in the 70s and 80s and were then promised land for agricultural use. An unequal distribution of land and lack of access to land is what gave rise to land conflicts over the past decades. To learn more about these dynamics of land conflicts and peasant worker movements in the region, I met researcher Amanda Michalski on a rainy day at the University of Porto Velho. Besides working as a geography researcher at the university, Amanda also works for the Pastoral Land Commission, the CPT, which conducts analysis of land conflicts in Brazil. The state of Rondônia unfortunately has in recent years. In fact, it always has been in the first positions in relation to the issue of land conflicts, whether due to death threats or, unfortunately, to the question of number of murders. It is always in the first positions. According to Amanda, there are several causes of these conflicts, the main being the lack of investment in agrarian reform policies to distribute land among landless peasants in the region. This led to the occupation of what is considered unused or vacant land by peasants and landless farmer movements such as the MST or landless worker movement. Despite knowing that these small producers, the small farmers, seek permanence, their permanence on the land, the whole point is not to see the illegality of the acts they are committing, but the illegality of the government in neglecting access to land for these subjects. We also have one of the biggest land grabbers in Rondonia, and I will mention him here, Galo Velho, because he is in all the newspaper headlines. And you can easily find the areas that he took, which should have been destined for small producers. But until today, they were not. And unfortunately, the state still supports him by carrying out the evictions when small producers enter his areas to force the state to do its duty to allocate the area, 
The Agrarian Reform. Someone else I met who also talked a lot about this criminalization of social movements and landless farmers was Rogerio Torres Cavalcanti, who is nowadays a lawyer, but previously was a military police officer for the state of Rondonia for almost 25 years. Terrorism, death, banditry and shooting, these negative aspects was always attributed to those who seek to occupy lands. I met Rogerio after reading his research that he published while he was still working for the military police. An extremely critical report of the criminalization of peasants, farmers and social movements in Rondonia. As coordinator of the military policy's operational planning and having around 150 processes related to repossession, we received the actors involved in this episode and we observed that there was a political pressure that is and is still is inseparable from logical economic power. And what we saw was a criminalizing discourse. By talking about his experiences and publishing the research, he hopes to create awareness about the issue and to improve the police approach to occupations by social movements. He also hopes that it will raise awareness about the need to invest in agrarian reform, which he also points out as the main cause of occupations by peasants and landless farmers. A very important aspect for the emergence of these localized conflicts is precisely the lack of land regularization. That is, land that was intended for agrarian reform, it is now joined to form large spaces for soy plantation. Going back to Amanda Michalski's analysis of the causes of land conflicts in the region, besides the lack of investments in agrarian reform, she also pointed to the dominating discourse in favor of agrarian expansion and against the protection of indigenous territories. It's that well-known speech that the indigenous people have too much land, that we don't need that many reserves, and unfortunately, in Rondonia, this is very strong. If you arrive at an occupation area, you know that it is a protected area. Oh, but the forest does not feed us. It is a speech of a colonizer that is totally unaware of the potential of our Amazon biome, encouraged by the speech, and I say that it is a disastrous and hateful speech by the previous government, which did not understand the basic importance of the agrarian reform, especially in the Amazon. So there were so many attempts to apportion indigenous lands, this was encouraged by the previous government. On the Bolivian border, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, the state of Hondonia has already lost more than 40% of its native forest to agrobusiness, a sector whose interests are ardently defended by President Jair Bolsonaro. Since his election, the region has seen a record of invasions of indigenous lands and public parks. In the local legislature, the powerful agricultural lobby makes no secret of its intentions. At the end of the interviews, both Amanda Michalski and Ricardo da Costa Silva expressed their hopes that the new federal government will, as promised, invest more in agrarian reform, sustainable agriculture, 
protected areas and in the environmental institutions dismantled under Bolsonaro. But what is also extremely important, underlined Amanda, is to invest in changing the way of thinking in the region. For those who live in the region, to actually recognize themselves as Amazonidas, inhabitants of the Amazon. We must have governments in the Amazon that encourage awareness of what the Amazon is. There is a whole process of reorganizing life, thinking, the education for those who live in the Amazon to recognize themselves as Amazonians. I'm an elementary school teacher, and I always ask my students what the Amazon is. I ask them, what is the Amazon for you? It's sad to see in big cities, in urban areas. Sometimes the person doesn't even feel connected to this Amazon. When they talk about the Amazon, they talk about something far away. And only remember about the indigenous and the forest. But you are a part of it, right? To delve deeper into this process of reimagination, to rethink the image of the region based on the different stories and histories that exist, I decided to talk to two people from whom images and imagining is their profession. In February, I met two of the region's renowned photographers, Marcela Bonfim and Ederson Lauri, whose work is currently presented in the Museum of Ordonian History in Porto Velho. Both have been working to portray the region's population and its diversity from different perspectives. I asked them about the potential impact of their work and about what they hope to achieve with their images. Ederson Lauri talked about the importance of showing the perspectives of the different communities living in the region and their relation to space. His book, Rondonia, pictures indigenous communities, river communities and peasants in different places in the region. For me, it was in sharp contrast with the image of agrarian expansion and environmental destruction I had before arriving. It's also a way to spread awareness of how we see this state of Rondonia. What can we observe? What are the issues that concern us? What are the spaces of love that we find in our experiences? It is there, once again, that we counter the perverse process that tries to occupy spaces and communities and the people who have been resisting for so many years. They exist out there, showing such care and hospitality. And it's for those communities that we often feel compelled to produce these materials. Oh, you have to come here, you have to record, you have to photograph. We need this image. Edison explained that this work of recognition of the community's relation with their land, the space they live in, also stems from his own experience growing up in the periphery of the region. It is not just about changing the image of Rondonia. This recognition effort arises from our experience with these spaces and these people. In my specific case, it did not occur with the intentionality of an artist. It emerged from participating in those spaces and with those people, making images to be used by them as requested. 
The commitment after recognition is to give feedback, deliver the photographs, and for people to see themselves and me in these photographs, because I grew up here in Rondônia. Marcela Bontim explained that for her, her project Amazonia Negra, which has already been presented in 13 states in Brazil, came from the necessity to recognize ourselves as a black person in the region and to visualize the presence of black people in the Amazon. It arose from my interest to situate myself in the place. I arrived in Rondonia in 2010 to look for my first job, in a place that was already in my imagination. I imagined the kind of place pictured in the media, that of a jaguar, that of a big snake. I didn't imagine finding black people here, for example, until then. Then, I arrived here, started walking around, and people started calling me names as a black person. The city began to picture me in a certain way, and I asked myself, but what is this? And out of this uneasiness, I decided to try to reconstruct, reimagine the place. A reconstruction took place in my head, and I thought, Look, this is a place which consists of many places. It is no longer just the place of the big snake and the jaguar. Then for me, from one Amazon emerged several Amazons, and especially the black one. So then I started to imagine this place through images. I decided to buy a camera, and not in an artistic sense. I think it was also very symbolic. I didn't even know how to photograph. A new problem emerged, but I didn't even ask myself if I knew how to photograph. I asked myself, who were those people that presented themselves daily in my life? I started realizing that some stories looked a lot like mine. Today, for me, the Black Amazon, it exists, it is there. It comes from this process of imagining myself all the time and recognizing myself all the time. Because we need this imagination, the image, to recognize, to be recognized. Recently, the two photographers also published a joint book together with photographer Luis Brito, entitled Odovino Guaporé, about one of the region's largest but largely unrecognized pilgrimages, organized for as long as people can remember in the Valley of Guaporé, an important place in the history of the region. It was here at the border of what is now Rondonia and Bolivia that the former black slaves who managed to escape started to manage their own territories, quilombolas in Brazil officially recognized as protected lands of descendants of escaped slaves. It is in this area, close to where black Amazonian hero Teresa de Benguela organized resistance, that over 40 quilombola indigenous and river communities yearly gather to worship their own divines. Onovino Guaporé. Ederson and Marcela explain how important the feedback of the communities they photographed is to them. When we prepare a documentary or a book with that big effort, 
where these photographers from other times come together around the narrative of telling the story of the divine, it was also something very, very important, very strong for us, because it was very well received. That's what I'm telling you. When you take the book to Guaporé, it's a huge family. It's like, oh, my uncle is here, and my father is here. Taking this book through the Valle do Guaporé region is amazing. A person starts looking at the book, and suddenly, they find their relative there. It's a family album, I like it. It's very powerful. It is there that they find themselves, get emotional, and cry because it's very, very powerful. Marcela ended the interview by explaining the importance and power of photography. To recognize herself through images, and thereby also recognizing others, their presence, to construct a new collective image of a place together. Photography is powerful. And it is not in the click, but it is being able to think about the moment when to click. It's being able to put your imagination to work, to create an image that fits you the most. So, for me, this book, sometimes I look at it at home and say, my God, it exists. It is a piece that we brought into this world. And the coolest part is the feedback from the communities when they recognize themselves. This is constructing. It is creating collectively. I think it's important to think in images, the vital image. What would that be? And from that, you can create the best version of yourself. Amazônia Negra Estos 
for listening to this second episode of Brazil Reimagined. The interviews for this episode were conducted in Porto Velho, Rondonia, between January 3rd and February 24th, 2023. The music you hear during this episode from the beginning to the end was Um Sonho by Nassau Sumbi, O Agro Nunca Para by Os Agroboy, and Amazonia Negra by Marcela Bonfim. The last is a composition of poet Don Lauro and Marcela Bonfim and was recorded at the festival Cantos das Marias. The next episode of this series will focus on the presence of indigenous people in Rondonia, the fight for their land, for equal access to services, and also for recognition. Thank you for listening.